0: This episode is recorded on Jar Jar Country, and we want to pay our respects to the original creatives of this land and their elders, past, present, and future.
1: My name's Harry Morton. I am the POMI podcaster that's here to school these two fair dinkum fellas on how to do a podcast. This is uh, Country Creatives. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey, Welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. I'm Reese,
0: And I am Caleb Still.
2: Hey, we're back. And we're kicking off with an absolutely amazing first guest. Our first international guest mm. in the
0: flesh. In the flesh.
2: I think he made the trip just to be on this podcast. Pretty sure. That's at least what we're saying. <laughs> Which is an absolutely <laughs> phenomenal achievement for us because yeah. his name is... Harry Morton, and he runs a podcasting agency called Lower Street.
0: Yep. It, it could be on a street that is lower than a few others. I think it's just a really cool name. But we didn't actually ask him that. Maybe that's an, ad- an addendum to the, <laughs> I digress. Harry is a amazing podcast producer and leader of this podcast production studio. And we, funnily enough, being on a podcast, we talk about podcasts and it's quite insightful.
2: Yeah, I think as a creative, he's really branched out from being in the audio industry into managing running, signing huge clients to create content and podcasts for them. So stick around. We also ask a few practical tips on how to make our podcast better. Yeah. And I
0: think this episode is really valuable. If you are thinking, I want to build something that lives beyond just me, this is right up your alley because that's exactly
2: what Harry's done. Yep. Let's jump straight into it. Hey Harry, thanks for joining us in Bendigo, our first international guest in person. Yeah. Wow, what a pleasure. <laughs> it's
0: Thank great. Having me. It's great having you here, Harry. You're a podcast producer. You yep. run a podcast production agency. That's right. You're on a podcast now and we're going to be talking about podcasting. Is that is My that My favorite kind of meta conversation, <laughs> This is
2: I'm so nervous. I feel like this is like we're getting a little bit judged or we're on <laughs> being tested out. How good are we at podcasting, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking your microphone technique is...
1: No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Early days, he's already
0: picked up on a couple of tips. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We don't know what the metrics are that we're being judged against. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so it's so good to have you, Harry. We're excited to be talking a little bit about podcasting, but also your journey. I want to jump straight in to... What makes, in your opinion, if you could Mm. sum it up pretty succinctly, what makes a good podcast? I think podcasting is.
1: It's all about storytelling. Like the reason that we like to listen to anything is stories. They're gripping, they're entertaining. We've been sat around campfires since the dawn of time telling stories. And I think that's the sort of, it's just an amazing way to communicate. So I think in order to really do podcasting, the po- people that do podcasting the best are the ones that are really great storytellers. And that can still be an interview show like this. Mm-hmm. It could be a single person talking on a topic or it could be that sort of format is it could be serial, with this American life, that kind of storytelling. But I think that really at the heart of any good podcast is a decent story.
0: And that's really it's all it's about. Yeah, I love that. Give us a bit of background about what type of podcasts your studio produces mm. and for whom... Paint us the picture of your podcasting experience.
1: For sure, yeah. So we are a branded podcast agency. So we work exclusively with companies to produce their content. And that's something we've done from the very beginning. So brands like I I could name drop. Yeah, go on. Uh, All right. (laughs) Uh, Like Pepsi, Booking.com, Ford, BCG, HP. So large sort of big corporates, right? And yeah, that's what we've been doing for
0: six years now. So how do you make... A podcast for a random brand, are they just talking about their product all the time? or well, That's
1: the challenge, right? Like a lot of people come to us, a lot of marketers and salespeople from these big organizations, they know they want to make a podcast, they know that their buyers are out there listening to podcasts, and their brains immediately go to, okay, we're trying to sell something here, so let's talk about what it is that we do. And that's fine. I'm not saying that you can never make that interesting, but like I've mentioned that a great podcast is about great storytelling and it's rare that a great story comes from (laughs) here's our product and this is why it's so awesome that's not what you're signing up for you don't want to listen to a podcast to listen to a giant kind of ad so what we have to try and understand what are we trying to what are we trying to do why do you want this podcast where are the interesting stories that kind of lead to that to that end, so instead of asking your boss like, "What are our five values or whatever as a company?" It's like, "Okay, why don't we dig further beyond that and like, why are those our values and who represents those values and let's interview those people that represent those things and understand like their stories because that's effectively getting the same information but in a hopefully more compelling way."
2: Yeah, that must be really tricky with trying to convince people who've got that marketing focus they want to see metrics on how many times we said the word product X Right? how how do you navigate and how do you convince people who've got that real salesy mindset in the beginning to take that different approach and to add on to that because I think maybe it's something we could benefit from knowing (laughs) is like converting that into storytelling how do you how do you gain metrics out of that aspect or where does it land in that?
1: Yeah, so I guess finding metrics in in, in that is really hard to do. It's like it's a very human thing there's not a way that we can really measure it we just you're either good at telling stories or you're not and, and when we're trying to find someone within an organization that's we have to sometimes go through a few people because uh, you're great and everything you're good at what you do but you're boring to listen to <laughs> so we've got to figure that out and in, in terms of kind of steering people away from that stuff it is a challenge I think for us it's been iterative because at the beginning we didn't have a choice like we didn't have much of a client base behind us we didn't have a lot of clout and so we couldn't say what we now want to say which is that sounds like a really boring podcast. Let's not make it boring. (laughs) Otherwise, no one's going to listen and it's going to suck. And that's effectively what we have to go, what we have to say. Uh, But back in the day, we had to just go, okay, we'll make the show that you want to make. And then each subsequent show that we've made, we've been able to point back at the last one and go, uh, look at like how much more we could do if we did this and kind of steer that conversation away from, yeah,
0: product mention and more into something that's more compelling. Great. One question that's burning in my mind is the Booking.com podcast. I've never, I don't know where to listen to it. never listened to it. Is it about really cool travel stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: It actually isn't a podcast as such, um, okay. funnily enough. That one was yeah. more of a, what they did was we built some kind of audio, like mini documentaries, basically. They were, like oh, sub five it. minute things that they were then embedding into the website in different <laughs> ways. They were experimenting with audio as a storytelling device, which was awesome. And so, yeah, it was, It we basically did these different kind of stories about traveling in different parts of London. Ooh,
0: um, nice.
2: So it
1: was really cool.
0: But yeah.
2: I would love to hear about holiday fails. And then you know, <laughs> at the end to avoid this. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So good. I'm super interested in after producing so many podcasts and when you come in with new clients wanting a podcast of some description or wanting you to do a bit of leading in that uh, creative process, hmm. do you have set formulas that you bring in? You know, like you want podcast. Formula A and we're going to run that for you. And is there any times where you just like throw out the rule book and go, we want to create something new? Yeah, both. So I think... So
1: if we have a if we have a really straightforward client might be, let's say, more risk-averse or slightly less creatively inclined, they come to us and they go, we want to interview these experts on these topics and we're going to put this thought leadership out there. And that's fine. And what our job to do is to try and massage that into as, as interesting a version of itself as it can be. And so uh, we do have some sort of, yeah, formats for that. Instead of just like a straight-up interview show, we, we talk about this idea of doing a narrated interview oftentimes. So it, we're not actually making a wholesale change to the way that we're doing things. But you may have heard of a show called How I Built This. If not, check it out. It's a great, great podcast. But it's basically, it is a one-on-one interview. But what the host does, this guy called Guy Raz in its an American show, he basically will introduce the guest He'll and he'll set up the story. So he'll do some storytelling, some narration to lead the way through that conversation. So rather than it just being two people talking for 45 minutes, it's like, He's setting up and then so-and-so did this and he discovered this incredible thing and then we cut to the bit of that interview. Yep. So it just makes it more more of a flow, more of a story and just more engaging that way. So that's what we try that's to cool. encourage like clients to, to do when they've got those kind of more straightforward ideas. And then, yeah, like you say, in other cases, it's just they've got a completely open brief or they've got a really creative idea. Like we've, we've worked with Boston Consulting Group to do a show about climate change and it was all about how we're going to get to the 2050 climate goals. And they thought, well, we could just interview the experts and talk about what's going on. But that doesn't sound like enough. It doesn't feel like differentiated because like loads of people are creating that. And so they decided that they came to us with this concept. This wasn't ours. I can't take credit for it, sadly. But <laughs> they, they decided they wanted to set the podcast in 2050. So it's like a fictionalized future where we've hit our go- climate goals. And so they're like retroactively, it, they're interviewing the experts from the past and then we've got actors to play people that are on the ground in the present of huh. 2050. And so, yeah, that was like, so, so yeah, we're using cool you know concept. actors and all kinds of things so It makes it a very different kind of format. And that's a really fun, creative challenge, like really, really cool.
2: Your clients coming with big corporate budgets and stuff. And like, if you slap a PepsiCo logo on this, this podcast about, I'm not sure what your concept was for that. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, with the big corporate logos, are they kind of like cleanly branded as a separate idea and the branding comes in subtly? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, again, it's a mixture. But, like, we, we always want to lead. Basically, the thing that I'm always pushing to, to clients and stuff is that we want to, like, lead with the content. Because, again, no one's going to listen willingly to, at least not that I know of, <laughs> an advert, <laughs> right? They don't want to just sit and go, great, I'm going to listen to 30 minutes a week of this podcast and it's just going to be them advertising to me. So we've got to like sell why this is worth your time. And so really we're focused on the story. We will have their logo usually in the like bottom right or the bottom left or something of that artwork so that it is a branded piece of content. People want to, they need to get some value from it as a brand. So we're not trying to hide the fact that it's presented by a company, but that's not the kind of main selling point. Yeah, sure. So
2: it's acknowledged, but not the front and center. Exactly.
0: Very cool. Cool. All right, let's wind back a little bit. A lot of our listeners are creative entrepreneurs. They're masters of their craft or wanting to start something that is going to sustain them financially. I'm wondering, what opportunities do you see for Mm. creative entrepreneurs in the podcasting realm? In podcasting, I think, let me see, that's a very good question.
1: I think, basically, so the reason I got into branded podcasting specifically is that I I had this skill set in audio. I had some understanding of story. I'm not a journalist, so I didn't like have loads of experience there, but I understood what made a good story and I really understood the technical side of it. And what I found as I was listening to podcasts to, to figure out what how I was going to get my career as a creative into a business that I could scale... I was listening to podcasts to educate myself and I suddenly realised I should just be making podcasts. When I was listening to a bunch of shows, the shows I, that I listened to that were created by brands just sounded crap to me. I was just yeah. like, these are boring. Like, I can do better than this. That's the that's what the ego says when, you, <laughs> totally. when you're sort of naive and young yeah. and you think that you, you can do better. Yeah, so that opp- that's what the opportunity was then. I think now p- podcasting has become a hell of a lot more competitive. There's a lot more people trying to make stories in podcasting and there's probably we've seen a huge amount of growth through the pandemic in listenership but it's not like rocket ship we're not kind of we're not competing with youtube anytime soon yeah so i think if we're if you're really looking to make a living in podcasting i do think that kind of the services is the way to very just reliably earn a living because if we think about creating content and monetizing it you have to reach a pretty decent scale for it to start to make any kind of money let alone be a really kind of good income so just as a a benchmark if there is anybody Mm. listening that is genuinely interested in podcasting you generally have to hit the kind of ten thousand listeners per episode mark before you can start monetizing this is a very general rule and i'll add some caveats later but and at that point you then you can charge advertisers to advertise on your podcast on what's called a cpm basis so cost per thousand impressions cost per thousand listeners And those rates are typically around like 25 US dollars is the kind of industry benchmark, right? Could be as high as 35 or even 50 if you're super niche, but let's just say the kind of standard. So at 10,000 listeners, you're then making 250 bucks per episode per sponsor. So sure you could rack up two (laughs) or three sponsors at that point, but you're still not making like a salary and it's a lot of work, right? And so it can be very hard as a creator, just as an out and out creator to make a really good living in podcasting alone. Now, I think podcasting lends itself to loads of other channels really well. You can spin off YouTube channels, you can spin off TikTok, you can do kinds of all sorts of things to grow your reach and expand your audience and hopefully monetize a bit more effectively. But the point is podcasting, is it's a hard graft, right? Yeah. So the way that we can, again, if we want to be a creator, the way that we can avoid that is by being hyper, hyper niche. And that might mean that you just are the number one podcast in the paleo diet or the number one podcast for... I don't know insurance brokers in Northwest Kentucky. I, whatever. <laughs> if you're just hyper hyper niche, and you can say to your potential sponsors, "Hey, look, we're not we haven't got ten thousand listeners, but we've got one thousand listeners, and they are hyper specific, and they're really valuable to you as an advertiser for this reason." then that makes it easier to monetize. But I think, yeah, the result of all of that means that we don't really see the same number of like influencers as mm. we do in Instagram or YouTube or TikTok or whatever, just because it's so hard to build that audience. So if you're if you're interested in making money in the podcast industry, I think you either have to go to one of the big networks and get a job as just a producer, or you have to be making something hyper niche and be willing to work incredibly hard and probably while doing other things to make money while it slowly builds up. Or you have to do what I do and go to where the money is, which is the brands. And that's what I did because I'm a massive sellout and that's that's all there is to it. <laughs> they
0: call that an entrepreneur, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you can dress it however you want. But. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. No, that's good. So really the message there is if you're considering podcasting because you see a lot of podcasts, yep. you should Really deeply consider again. Right. That being said, it's a wonderful opportunity and I'd love to know
1: how you guys have found it to as a door opener, it's a really, really great opportunity. If you're not thinking I'm gonna be a podcast I'm not gonna be the next Joe Rogan, I'm not gonna be Bendigo's answer to Spotify. Instead you're thinking podcasting is great, I could learn a load and I could spend an hour each week interviewing someone really interesting that's going to expand my network I think it's a wonderful thing that everyone should do Yeah. so long as we don't expect it to return a bunch of money in the yeah. short term
2: Caleb and I are obviously doing it more for the passion and for the love of yeah. being creative in the country and wanting to help our fellow creatives yeah, um, it's awesome. and just have a platform but it's interesting like oh monetization. how does that work and Hearing from you now is like, oh god damn! That's, <laughs> that's, that's a it's a hard slog journey. just to make money from a podcast, but as you say, the we just enjoy it for the amount of connections that we've made. Yep the amount of people, interesting people outside of our industries we get to meet.
1: And I guess we Community, I guess you're building, right? I assume there's, I don't know how engaged your listeners are, but hello listeners. I imagine (laughs) there's some really cool people doing really cool things. And just building that community in what you're doing is really awesome.
0: It's heaps of fun. And I think that you touched on something there that I think is actually potentially really valuable for creative entrepreneurs is that door opening, that network building capability. We were talking off air about the potential value of say going to someone you want to work with and instead of saying hey I do this really cool creative thing why don't you pay me to do it they'll be like who are you I don't have time for you sorry rather than doing that you say hey look I've got this podcast and I speak to really interesting people in your field or in this or that or the other and would you want to be on my podcast as a guest who's not going to say yes to that Exactly. Oh, sick. Being a guest on a podcast, I could spend 30 minutes on an hour of my time to do that because that sounds fun. Yep. And then suddenly you've spent an hour building a relationship and building that connection that will be now so much more powerful.
1: Exactly. Yep. And then so long as you're careful around the way you position that conversation. So we do this with clients all the time. They do exactly this approach and you get to the end of the conversation and that person out of almost this because you've given them this platform you've stroked their ego you've said hey look <laughs> I'm interested in what you have let's have a conversation and here's my audience to be in front of they so often they'll you'll hit the stop record button and they'll be like so tell me more about what it is that you do and then before you know it you've started that conversation in a really organic way it's not hey let me send you my pitch deck or let yeah, me send yeah, you my portfolio yeah.
2: the challenge for us i think is we interview people who are very much not our clients at all and yeah. never going to be <laughs> yeah, but the true. connections and the potential opportunities for collaboration and projects is maybe where it aligns for sure i guess unless we're talking to a podcast producer who is looking for two <laughs> australian uh, hosts i don't know where we're going to find <laughs> oh, <more> them <though. laughs> yeah talk about
0: podcastception <laughs> After we press the stop button, are <laughs> we going to sell you our wares as presenter? I'm joking, we're not.
2: I was interested to maybe take a step back and hear a little bit more about your business, Lower Street. And maybe you've mentioned a little bit about where the thought and idea came from to start that. But what kind of a process was it in setting up your business? And also, when did you start and where was podcasting at when you started versus yeah. where it is now? Like, how have you flown through that journey? For
1: sure. Yeah. I've like incorporated the company in October 2016 and I did a few bits here and there but we didn't really properly start like trading or at least my accounts rule report uh, until kind of like April the following year so I still say we and back then I said we and it was just me it was like me (laughs) in my underpants in my bedroom pretending to be a serious professional so in 2016 I looked around again I was educating myself on podcasts and I, I knew I wanted to be in this industry and it felt to me as if I was already too late to the party like podcasting was growing, there were other agencies doing good stuff. And I was like, I need to get going fast, because if I'm not here, I'm just going to get eaten up by everybody else. And so it really felt like there was a wave to ride. And I'm fortunate enough that we'd been around a couple of years, we'd got just enough of a portfolio built up so that when the pandemic hit, it all exploded and went a bit mental.
2: How did that evolve in terms of you setting up the business? We're talking to people who are entrepreneurs yeah. looking to yep. grow. And I'm. Sh- you said we back in the day, but I'm sure it's not so just that, you now. Was,
1: yeah, totally. And that was it. So I basically was, a, I was an independent freelancer, but I had set it up as Lower Street as this organization with the intent to grow a team around me. And so I just faked it till I made it. And so in the beginning, early days, it was, I was literally like fishing around on Upwork for just whatever gig I could land, just so I could start to get stuff through. And meanwhile, I was doing waitering on the side to pay the bills and I was taking a course about building a service agency and doing that all online and then I was building my website and so it's just been this incredibly iterative kind of step-by-step approach if you look at the growth chart of the company over time it's just like achingly slow and the first two (laughs) years was just like ticking along like one gig after another and I was like slowly building things up And then I hired contractors to help me out with stuff. And it wasn't until kind of three years in that I then turned them into employees. So it's been this real sort of like slow development. And I think to anybody listening, they might fit into that group that I was in, right? They're just a solo creative and like, how do I create something that's beyond just me? How do I build something that's not just my billing for my time? How can I create something that's around that? And that's not for everybody. Like lots of people have huge success and a lot of joy out of being an independent creative and that's awesome as well. But that was was my particular goal. And I think that... um, Yeah, it is that, at least in my case, with no money behind me and no network and no kind of right to start what I did, I had to just stair-step my way into it.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Your role obviously started as an operator, so you were doing the thing, right? Totally. Now, what does your team look like and what does your role in that Mm. team look like? it's changing a lot right now like literally as we
1: speak it's, uh, it's quite a strange kind of change that I'm going through at the moment but yeah so it started off as I was the operator I was doing literally everything and then I would bring people in to do some elements of the writing and then I brought in an editor for the first time and then a project manager to manage all of the stuff that was going on and so I've just been iterating and building more and more complexity on things right now we've got to 20 people the biggest sort of change that has happened recently is I've hired a head of sales and now just a head of marketing which means I'm no longer the one kind of banging the phones talking to clients and trying to close deals which is it is which is huge that is because huge. Un- until very recently that's what my job has been it's just been the sales right. guy for the thing keep the pipeline full exactly right and now my job is changing because I'm not that salesperson anymore and that's a huge challenge Emotionally, in a strange uh-huh. way because like I was the fa- it was me the business was me and I had this incredible team that was being built but I'm still it was still just m- myself and now I'm no longer the sort of number one representative of that brand yeah. it's beyond me and so that's a really strange realisation and now what I'm having to learn is what does it mean to be I've really struggled with the term CEO. It felt too self-important. Um, but I guess that's what I am now. Yeah. It's like the CEO of a team. And so like now I have to know what that means to be like a leader and do all that stuff. I don't know how comfortable I'm going to find that. And I don't know <laughs> how much, how
2: long I'm going to stay in that kind of role. But, but that's what it is today. Yeah. Oh, I love it that usually self-employed people when they do their first ever business card, it's always CEO. Yeah, know, right? yeah, I, I can put whatever title I want. But now you've grown it where it's a bit more official. Like, yeah. Uh, what's your ideal role in the business as that kind of leader? How does that work growing to that size, and where do you fit? Do you get to choose where you fit? Like the thing I've always had in my mind is it's my business. I get to make up
1: the rules. There's no one way of doing things for me. Like I'm the I'm a creative person. I come from a creative background, and that's the stuff that I enjoy. So for me what i want to be is that kind of strategic visionary character that sort of person that sets the direction of where we're going and just gets to experiment with a bunch of different creative things that are fun which doesn't sound particularly productive but i <laughs> that's where I, that's where my dream role is yep. and to be honest like that's been my the thing that i focused on a lot over the last 6 years is filling people in to to be I can't remember who it is that talks about the integrators versus the visionaries, but that kind of like split between people that are ideas people and people that are really great at just doing stuff and thrive and love doing that kind of stuff. And so my job has been to find those people that are really great at just operating and doing their thing. So yeah, that's... um that's where I'd like to get to when I grow up is to be this sort of strategy guy that kind of swans in and says, we need to, you know, we, we need to open an office in Singapore, Go, make it happen. That kind of
0: that's so good. We've glossed over it a little bit, but I want to dive into what that means, what that has felt like and what that's meant to start as a creative practitioner Yeah, and to leave that creative practice behind in, in favour of the beautiful machine that you've built and to see the brand make the creative thing and for you to have a slightly removed kind of role in that because there may be people listening that do have that dream of building a team of 20 and it sounds like you've come to a stage in your business where you've just crossed that that threshold of where every small business the leader and the founder needs to be sales and marketing relentlessly but you've swapped over that and you're into new territory now like what was your process Mm. of going from creative to business leader and how did you approach that?
1: It's happened around me without me these things Things just change out of necessity. Like right. you hit a certain point, you've got so many clients to take care of that you just have to find someone to do them and move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. So, in terms of like why it's happened, that's that. I guess that's why it's it's just a, a kind of a forcing function. Been a real kind of experience of kind of loss of identity over and over again. Because like I, I'm an audio nerd. That's what I do. I just play around in like Ableton and Pro Tools, and that's what I'm good at. And like now in my free time. I go and play in Ableton and Pro Tools, and I make music and stuff. And so, you know, that's what I was, and that's what I was good at. And so, you do this thing that you're really good at, and then you find people to. To, to help you that are hopefully as good as you or actually back in the day, I couldn't afford people that were as good as me. So I got people that were less good than me and I trained them and then they, and now they've far surpassed me, which is, so then you lose your identity again. It's like I thought I was good at this, but old mate's way better than me now. This is so depressing. And, and then the same is true of sales. Like I was the only salesperson and I was the best at being the salesperson and now I'm not anymore and that's really upsetting. So it's just this constant kind of reinvention of like who you are and what you're about. And I, I do miss, but I will say I definitely miss like, making stuff Mm. playing with audio making fun sounds like that's just an incredibly gratifying thing for me and I don't do it anymore
0: I know this is a common thing for and I experienced it a lot I I used to make a lot of fun videos in my Mm. spare time And then when I started working and started Hebron Films, making videos for clients and getting paid for it, I was like, oh, I don't want to make videos in my (laughs) spare time. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's the transformation for me was transforming my passion and and something I enjoyed doing into something that was going to sustain me Mm -hmm. financially and I could share with the world. But I lost the desire to do that outside of work sure was yep. that something you experienced it, it sounds like you've got, almost come full circle i have come full circle because
1: it's been so long since i've touched like I, I don't even know what audio plugins my team uses anymore. do you know what i mean it's ri- <laughs> I, I knew in t- intimately every detail of every kind of technical aspect and now i don't and it's so i think i've left it far enough behind that i'm now able to come back and just and also like my 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 passion my hobby is to make music so it's Uh, slightly different to podcasting yeah yeah so yeah but there there was a period there where I didn't really think about it at all but back to your point you mentioned before the that's the other thing it's like I said that The team around me gets better. I'm now like hiring people that are just significantly better than me, and that's because they they might come from journalist backgrounds or whatever, and they're just amazing storytellers, and they're putting out these shows. I'm like, I just couldn't have made that, and I'm like, I want to take credit for it because it's the company, and like we've done, and it's, and I am so proud, (laughs) yeah. But I'm just like, I couldn't have done that, so
0: this is weird. How much fun though! It must feel like such an an honor to to you've built this thing right, but then it's full of people that are doing far greater work. That's what what I I see
1: my job to be now is just like facilitating giving the, the environment, the platform for people to just do
2: really cool creative stuff. And yeah. like, it is super gratifying. It's weird, but it's really gratifying. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, that journey like to full circle, to coming back to your craft is amazing. You've probably got a lot of catching up to do now. A lot, like, yeah. Also, uh, oh, anyway, what are the new tools exactly. that we use these Exactly. <laughs> <days? I, it's laughs> so off the boil. That's so great. I'd be really interested
0: to hear... I don't know if you've listened to too many country creative podcasts, or but and you've spent half an hour being on one. How are we doing here, Harry?
1: Oh, just shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: no, this is awesome.
1: I really like what you're doing. I like the conversational style of it. So he talks about what a good podcast is. Yeah, part of its story, but part of it is having a really clear mission and a really clear set of people that you're. Serving, and that's what's really clear here. And there's not there's not a lot of podcasts or content in general that deals with stuff that is outside of. I'm passionate about this. Too. I come from country UK, so I'm from two and a half hours outside of London. It's a small country town, not unlike Bendigo, and. And there's all the content that you run into is people from New York or L.A. or London or whatever. And they all have these kind of biases. So I think just the fact that the show exists is a really good thing. And uh, I think you're doing a great job. I think what you could do. Yeah, oh, please. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Get Tips. The, iPad is the So I'm sitting here in this amazing studio with lighting all around me and all this cool stuff i think it's a lot more work to add to the thing but i think that like a video element would be Mm. really beneficial because i think there's a lot of people that would discover this show that might not know to look for it but they might find it they might stumble across it on youtube or tiktok for example and it does add more work and it's definitely more overhead but it's a it's a that's the next step that i'm seeing a lot of podcasters take is how do we integrate video in a way that's not going to stress us out, not going to cost us an arm and a leg. Wow. Uh, but allows us to be on those Funny you places.
0: say
2: that, because I know someone who makes a pretty good video. Yeah, videos. there you go. <laughs> yeah. He's also very busy. <laughs> yeah. Is the format, I'm seeing a lot of like reels where it's like they take a three or four lines from a podcast, bam, there's their social content. Is that where it's heading, do you think? So I think, yeah, I think there's a few different uses. I think firstly you do the sort of playbook
1: that I see is the Joe Rogan one. What we saw is he'd have these, I'm not suggesting you start doing two hour long episodes because that's just, (laughs) no one needs that. Pretty intense. Yeah, but what he'd do is he'd have Elon Musk on the podcast for two hours, and he'd cut out these eight-minute segments, and it, so it'd be like Elon Musk on marijuana, Elon Musk on the future of AI, whatever. And so though, those are really like bite-sized, discoverable chunks, and they perform really well on YouTube. Right? People mm-hmm. are searching for Elon Musk AI. Mm-hmm. His interview with Joe Rogan on that specific topic is quite likely to come up. Mm-hmm. So I think like doing that is is super cool. You can then have the sort of un unedited, long-form conversation on YouTube as well. And then, like you say, then you have those kind of hot clips that might be 30 seconds long where someone says something, I don't know, super offensive or something, and it's just like, <laughs> it's going to get traction on. Yeah. Then you do that in the kind of portrait. Uh, yeah, maybe I should just insult somebody to give us some Come sweet on. content. But yeah. but yeah, that's where the kind of vertical stuff comes in. And then I think that a lot of times people do that. They'll do the sort of talking heads thing on social, which is great. But I think also there's opportunity to do content design specifically for those channels so that might be like behind the scenes it could be as simple as hey just got off recording this awesome episode with some twat from the uk <laughs> you got to check it out and then you need to chuck that up and that helps do your kind of promotion and it's behind the scenes and they get to see the setup and what's going on and all that kind of stuff so i think that especially for your audience because it is a creative audience and they might be really mm. interested in what goes on to make this thing so i yeah. like that
2: yeah that's great feedback
1: but it is loads more work
2: yeah totally we it. We're like, oh. like, we're happy just catching up for chats at the moment. We've got <laughs> yeah. Amy, our producer, does an awesome job yeah. stitching it together. What's way
1: it. more important is consistency. If you can continuously, consistently put out episodes on a regular basis, you're doing yourself way more favour than trying to add on loads of other things and then burning out after two weeks and taking a six-week break or whatever that looks <laughs> yeah. like. So I would encourage you to just keep it simple.
2: You segued perfectly into this next question. Being in a similar <laughs> setup just outside of your metro area, your client list it probably have head offices in – the centre of London. And that's similar for a lot of our country creatives is we're two hours from the city. But how did you go about linking up with these big names or getting into that scene, living regionally, but wanting yeah. to tap into Metro?
1: Yeah, the way I see it is that I'm a, I'm an internet native, right? So I don't have an office on I don't know, what are the big streets of New York. I should have picked a bad example, but I'm not in Main Street, New York. I'm, no one's going to walk down the street and go, oh, there's the agency I should use. I want to be on the Main Street of Google. I want When someone types in, I need this thing, I'm, I want to come up. And so that's been the approach from the beginning. I always knew I wanted to do a remote company. I didn't want to pay for an office. I didn't want to have to be in London or somewhere because I would have been at a real disadvantage. So I just set up the brand to be nowhere to be everywhere uh, <laughs> cool. and that's that's how it's worked yeah generally speaking people don't mind i at the beginning i used to get like people going oh you're you've got a british accent like I, we were looking for someone local i'm like oh, don't worry about it; it's not a problem and you have to convince them that was okay and now post pandemic like it's just a non-issue
0: yeah of so, course um, you know it'd be interesting to hear what your team think and if they if you had poached them from an office job or like Mm. somewhere like that where they are presumably can work from home or a co-working space that's a lot of flexibility and that's even before COVID when everyone had to do it
1: yeah exactly yeah no that's what I always say we were fully remote before it was cool but yeah it just takes a certain person like I think we're very clear from the start like this is our setup this is our culture if that's for you then amazing and it's totally cool if that's not for you because it's not for everyone so we're a podcast studio most of the people that work for us are just like introverted nerds that tell stories, like I am. Right? That's just what that's what we are. We like hiding away and making stuff. And so I think a lot of those people thrive in remote working environments because they can work on their terms. They don't have to get tapped on the shoulder by Jeff from sales, and they don't have all you know, those stresses to deal with. They don't have to go to those drinks they don't want to go to. They just can crack on and do the things that they do best. Yeah. And I think that if we're if you're super upfront about that and you paint that as the vision then I think the right people get on board. And because and I think a lot of people, when I talk about the fact that we're remote, they go, how do you know they're not just like bunking off and not doing their work? I'm like, they've got jobs to do and a deadline to hit. I don't care if they spend all day doing yoga and then they spend 20 minutes doing their work. If they do their work yeah, on time right. and it's good, yeah, then right on, you, yeah. you do you. So we don't mind if people work weekends or nights or whatever, they, they might spend their days doing something completely different. Pretty cool. Yeah.
2: yeah. What do you reckon, I know that, like Teams meetings and Google meetings and stuff, you're meeting with the same people over and over and it doesn't feel like you have the same camaraderie with your workmates as you do face-to-face. Yeah. Have you done anything to help with work culture and camaraderie?
1: Yeah, so culture's the thing I sweat more than anything else at all. It's just it's so important, especially if you're remote. And there's no denying, like, so all of those benefits I just outlined, there are obviously the downsides. And that is that while you won't have Jeff from accounts banging on your shoulder being a pain in your ass, you won't also be able to turn around to your mate that does the same thing as you and go, oh, can you just help me with this thing? How boring is Jeff from Accounts? How boring is Jeff from Accounts? (laughs) Honestly, if he eats another onion for lunch, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) But yeah, so you really need, you need to put things in place to make people not feel isolated. And again, people that that choose that lifestyle they're generally predisposed to handle it pretty well, but still, like, we're all humans. So we do – Zoom fatigue is a real thing, but that, we do it every day. We have a 30-minute stand-up call every single day, which is rarely – there There are work topics in there, but the bulk of that call is about just chatting, just, like, what we would be getting if you we were all having coffee. And it's yeah. just so important because you yeah. learn about the personalities of the people you're working with in a way that you wouldn't, and you all have a laugh together, and it's just so important. Yeah. And the other thing that we do that we just did last week, which I don't know, more, it, it like it sounds like I feel very showy offy when I talk about it, but it, it, we just <laughs> had to. Never got people together before. We mm. got everyone to Barcelona in Spain for a meetup, and so they were they'd all flown in from all those places. We'd never meet, met each other in the flesh, and it was just the coolest thing ever. And we can't afford to do that very often, but we did it. We're going to planning to do it once a year, and and that was huge because suddenly people were like mates that weren't mates before and they're be like oh i get you or i like you yeah. or you're funny or whatever and it's so cool and also it's just hilarious playing the how tall do you think ryan is it kind of it's like, oh ryan
0: you're six three i thought you were like five two or oh adam you're five two i thought you were six eight and it's that <laughs> is hilarious it is kind of yeah i i have a business coach and um we have this group that's all over the world and we catch up every now and then in person and it is totally that thing. See, old mate, you're like, oh, wow, you're so big. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because
1: there's only so much you can tell
0: from shoulders up. And and in your stand-ups, I'm assuming not everyone's standing up.
1: No, we're usually sitting down oh, for the most part. I've got oh, a sit-stand desk, so I'm sometimes standing, standing. But yeah, no, mostly people are sitting down.
0: <laughs> but no, we, what we do in
1: those is we'll, like every day a different person will be in charge of leading the call. So it's Ooh, not like just that. me because I just get bored of my own voice, let alone everybody else. <laughs> so everybody takes turns at leading it. So that means everyone has a voice. And the plan for each of those calls is that you have to turn up. When it's your turn to host, you turn up with a question. You've got to ask everybody a question and it. they've got to answer it. And it sounds corny at first. It'd be no, like, it's... what was your favorite song when you were 14 years old or whatever? It sounds corny, but actually, after you've been doing it for a while, it's totally normal, and you find it these amazing stories about people <laughs> that you never knew, yes. and it's just a really great way to get to know each other. stuff. So that's, that's awesome. I like that's that. So good. If you
2: just had that call, oh hey everyone, now chat away. It's oh yeah. god, everyone trying to talk over each other. It Need a format. Yeah,
0: that's so good. Our gym does that, and oh. it, when you rock up, and the question of the day is not asked, it's like the world is out of kilter. It's like. Where is the question (laughs) of the day? (laughs) I love that you do that. That's very cool. Yeah.
2: All right, let's skip ahead to the future. Yep. What are your ambitions for the company and where do you want to take it? What I tell the team and what I think about I've been
1: doing on this trip. So I've been here in Bendigo for a month. I've been in Australia for the whole trip will be two months by the time we get back because it's the first time my wife's been able to visit family since the pandemic. So we've really made a go of it. I've done a lot of thinking about that. And I think for me, the most important thing is that we're still here in 10 years. That's basically my goal. A lot of people are trying to build something to sell it. A lot of people are trying to maximize the amount of money they're making and that kind of stuff. And obviously those things are important, but I just want to make sure that what I've built Is still here for a long time to come because I don't think I have intentions of leaving it. So, right now, that means I'm going to get very boring. Got the recession (laughs) happening in America. What does that mean? And so, I'm just thinking about how we put stuff in place to make sure that we don't have to let anybody go if Mm. things do take a sharp turn in one direction or another, but that we're also ready should things like suddenly explode again like they did in the pandemic. I thought we might get crushed by COVID, but it turned out to be the best thing that's ever happened to us, which is a really awkward thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, In terms of plans for the future, it's just make sure we're doing really great stuff because if we're doing really great work, then we're going to attract the people that want to work with us that also do great work. And if we're doing more great work, then people will continue to employ us and that's really all I care about.
0: Yeah, I guess that speaks to that. You want to maintain the level of value that you've been able to provide to the people you work with. That's and- right. That in turn enables the platform and the space for the creatives to keep doing the things that they love. And that's it. And again, I'm a creative person just like you guys. And
1: so I care about the work that we do being good. Like yeah. I want to leave the office today going, oh, man, that show we made was so aw- – they made, I didn't make, but it was so <laughs> awesome. That's so important. And that's not going to remain the case if we're pumping out the same thing. Yeah. So that means we've got to be constantly kind of stretching ourselves and doing better stuff and all that kind of – stuff, but then I could start getting into corny platitudes, so I've got to be careful. But <laughs> Totally.
0: Is there any brands, I'm going to gonna ask you to give me some favourites, some favourite podcasts mm. that if someone wanted to hear some work of Lower Street, it could be a little bit tricky to find it, right? It could be. Yeah, so where could we direct people to listen to a great podcast that you can remember and think, wow, that was a good one? That we've made, yeah. specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the... I,
1: couldn't recommend anything other than a podcast called The Unicorn Launcher, uh, oh, which is by already, yeah, which is from a company called Vigo. They're a startup out of Brizzy, although well, I think they might be based on the Gold Coast now. But anyway, they are an awesome startup in the kind of ed tech space. They're helping universities help students better. And they came to us about a year ago uh, and they said, We've got thousands and thousands of hours of material we've recorded we've been recording every board meeting every conversation between the founders every like night we can't sleep recording all of this material and we're working with this american business coach who's the coach of like coaches he's like the number one coach in the world and we can't believe that we've managed to get him to work for us and we want to tell our story of how we've managed to do that and chart our progress and so we had to sift through all of this audio to try and understand what's the story how do we make this into a coherent narrative And what we've got is this amazing kind of unfiltered, raw uh, narrative of these guys, these two co-founders from Brisbane doing their thing. And they're awesome. So I can fully and wholeheartedly recommend checking that out. Because even if you – because basically the other examples I could give you would be dry corporate spiel that I don't think anyone would really (laughs) enjoy. So that one is like genuinely entertaining whether you like business or not.
0: Oh, I'm –
1: Totally looking that
0: up and downloading it. It is the Unicorn Launcher. The
1: Unicorn Launcher, wherever you get your
2: podcasts, as they say. (laughs) Very memorable name, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, so good.
0: Thanks, Harry. I really appreciate you coming on to this humble podcast all the way from thank the UK. Thank you so much for having me. It's been
1: like such a pleasure to be here in Bendigo and, and hang out at the Emporium and meet everybody that's here. It's a really cool community, a really great place to, to be and to work. And so to cap this off, this is my last day before I leave Bendigo. So this has been just a wonderful bookend to, the, to this good time. So thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of country creatives podcast with your hosts caleb maxwell and reese hendy my name's amy and i produce the show and we do it with the support of the emporium creative hub in mitchell street bendigo If you'd like to get information on today's amazing guest, Harry Morton, or you'd like to explore any of our past episodes and guests, you can do so at emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast. That'll send you down the rabbit hole of all sorts of amazing links and information. You can also subscribe to the show via your favourite podcasting platform. We've got a new episode that will be landing in two weeks' time and we can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, stay safe, be very creative.